Well, it's part of the problem that I think a lot of organizations have, which is we have a risk management department and they own the risks. And it's like, no, 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 no. Everybody owns the risks based on the decisions that they make at their own level. So the CEO has certain decisions that he or she must make. And, and so they own those risks, typically, you know, the biggest risks to the, to the company. Mike Tech Studio. Podcast time, baby. The Mike Tech Studios Podcast, your source for design, entertainment, marketing, conversation, and content. Mike Tech Studios, make your mark, change the game. With our guest from the All Things Risk Podcast, Ben Catania. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning back into our next great episode of the Mike Tech News podcast. Men, women, children, dogs and cats of all ages. We have our podcast topic being risk, what to avoid in business with our very special guest and actually now a pretty good friend of mine, I may say, uh, Ben Cantanillo. Ben, how's it going, man? Thanks, Michael. It's going really well, and it's a pleasure to be here on your esteemed podcast. <laughs> esteemed. I like that. I like that. Well, you know, I mean, I know we had talked initially. We, we've, ladies and gentlemen, for those listening, uh, Ben and I have probably known each other for, man, it feels like it's only been, what, since the beginning of this year or so, but I feel like it's been longer than that. But um, we, we did a recent stint on, uh, Ben has an all things risk podcast. So, uh, for those that are not familiar, uh, Ben is a, is a risk management professional. He's also, as you know, a podcast host, um, surprising enough, an endurance athlete and a martial artist, which I always found interesting. And I've never talked about that. Um, <laughs> he actually works as a chief risk, uh, advisor for a major telecoms company in the UK. He has close to 20 years of professional experience in risk management. So, I mean, I'm just happy to have you on, man. Happy to have you part of the podcast as well. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on and to return the favor. We had a great conversation. When was it? About a month ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. So great to be on your show. Yeah, it was about two months ago. And it was funny. We were talking about marketing, but we got into so many other aspects of really just storytelling and, you know, just just really sales and all aspects of marketing, really. So I hope it was a good conversation for your listeners as well. Ben, I got to ask you though, man, why, why risk management? What is it, what is it about risk management that just really enticed you to get into it in the first place? Well, it's a, it's a long, it's a, it's a nonlinear path that I, that I took to risk management and it kind of ties in with the conversation, the conversation we had a couple of months ago in that the kind of the classic risk manager's path, which is really boring and it's not my path is you you become an accountant and then you get into internal audit and then you, you find that that's kind of boring. You, you thought internal audit was going to be sexy and then, then you, you become a, a risk person. Mm -hmm. and you do you do risk stuff and maybe you worked at the big four or or whatever (laughs) my path was not that at all and i'm a polymath i i i have some expertise in a variety of different types of of things and i got into risk management because i originally studied and i loved uh, international relations and that's that was my my kind of academic background and when I finished my my studies, I thought to myself, well, the classic career path there is to work for the government or to join an NGO or work with the UN or something like that. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to do that. I found that to be somewhat limiting. And I thought there's got to be something in business that that I could do. And 
what I looked into, I, I found, well, there was there sort of was, there's a thing called political risk, which was all about if a business is doing some work around the world, well, there's all kinds of strange political things that could derail whatever that business is trying to do. It could, you know, coup, uh, it could be a change in, in policy, it could be a war, it could be all kinds of stuff. And I, so I got into that and I got into that via, at the time, there wasn't really a career path in that space. It was more, uh, there were there were jobs in that space that were attached to security companies because if you're a big mining or oil and gas company and you're doing business in Southeast Asia or Africa or something like that, mm-hmm. you've got to keep your people safe. And to identify some of those threats, so whether it's a war, or some extortion or something like that, because mm-hmm. a lot of these companies have to work in really remote places, you have to understand the politics in a jurisdiction. And that's the kind of work that I started to, to do, but it was always attached to security. I, mm-hmm. I worked for six, seven years at a major security company, but my background isn't that. It was it was political risk. And that led me to more around decision making and how companies and even individuals manage uncertainty and try and become more resilient when things do go wrong. And so that got me closer to risk management. And and so now that that to make a long story short, now I'm now working in a, a big corporate here in the UK with with a presence in over 180 countries uh, and helping them manage you know manage their risks. But I've I've done this throughout my career. Everything I've done, I've I've had different types of roles, and I've worked in corporate sustainability, and I've worked in and for. Um, management consultants and everything had a risk thread through it. And for me, here's the only certainty in life. And that is that the future is uncertain and it always will be. And that's regardless of who you are or where, what you're doing, we have to make decisions under circumstances of uncertainty, perhaps now more, more than ever. And that's, that's really what I do is I help organizations and individuals make better decisions and execute in the midst of any type of uncertainty that they're dealing with. Makes sense. And I know you have traveled around quite a bit being in the UK and, you know, I'm kind of poking fun because I already know, but don't really hear British accents. Uh, no. You're not originally from the UK, are you? <laughs> no, no, I'm a Canadian. I grew up in Canada. Well, I was born in Argentina and I grew up in Canada for the yeah, vast majority of my formative years. And then when I graduated from college, I went off and uh, started to work internationally. And I haven't really looked back since. I haven't really lived in Canada apart from two years. So I've I've lived in Southeast Asia, in different parts of Europe, and I've worked in every continent now, except for Antarctica. That's on the bucket list. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's risk there. It's just, you know, make sure the penguins are where they're supposed to be. Yeah, you could could freeze to death, I suppose, but um, but, but I'm sure Yeah, um, there are some scientists down there, but uh, beyond that, it's, uh, there's, there's a whole lot of activity. Listen, man, they're on their own. They know how cold it was down there prior to getting down there. So, I mean, but it's funny that you mentioned about I've had and I just thought about it I've had so many recent Canadian guests on but a handful of people all are coming out of Canada a lot of great people so yeah we have a lot of great great people and there are a lot of great Canadians that 
like me, work outside of Canada. And partially because Canada is actually, you know, it's a small economy. And so mm-hmm. the opportunities to do the types of things that I've done are somewhat limited, just given the size of the country. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, and, and therefore, you know, that's, that's kind of what, yeah, it's all, it's all about, it's all about scope really. But I've, I've loved it. Can't imagine having done anything else. So it's difficult sometimes to, I think, go back and uh, I find it hard to picture myself working just in a kind of domestic setting in, in, in Canada now. But uh, but there you go. Well, it's the same. It's when you think about it, the same type of situations, I would imagine troops that are deployed overseas, you know, and they're in the line of duty, in the line of fire, and then they come back and sometimes you have a hard acclimation of getting back into sure. civilian life, so to speak. It's just the noise factor, so to speak, is different. And I don't mean, you know, actual noise, but it's just the ambience of everything is, is it's hard to get acclimated back into. It is. And I think sometimes when you when you do work and I, and I encourage everyone to spend a little bit of time working outside of the country in which they grew up because your senses are so much more stimulated, everything's sharper and you you learn so much more about yourself and the world. And one of one of the things is cultural sensitivity. I think my, my cultural sensitivity is, is much better than ever would be if uh, if I'd stayed in Canada or maybe maybe worked in the US on the on that topic of trying to having to come back I mean I, I've I've been I was ruined very early in my career in terms of I I just I can't do boring work because my very first <laughs> <laughs> they my broke very first, you. yeah they broke me really early my very first assignment in um, in risk management was uh, when I was working for this security and consulting firm and it was to help a Japanese firm manage an extortion attempt by Maoist rebels in the Philippines. Wow. Um, and it was a very interesting project. And that's why I said I, I'm a bit of a polymath because mm-hmm. there were political dimensions to it, economic dimensions to it, security dimensions to it. And it was fascinating stuff, fascinating work. And when you borrow from different fields and you you can really get diverse teams on a particular problem with different types of expertise, you can you can really help an organization manage its risks. And uh, and that so that started me off. And, you know, from then on, you know, I project management gig would be really just, you know, I'd have to maybe shoot myself <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, so i so i'd get i'd get bored you know i'd get when something just wasn't stimulating me and um and making me feel passionate about what i'm doing and i i always felt like it's time to move on you definitely want to be folding, folding clothes of the gap that's for sure yeah <laughs> yeah that's not happening well i mean it sounds like you've been in a lot of uh difficult and i would dare say dangerous scenarios uh given you know the entirety of the risk factor because again it's like when somebody says design or marketing there is so many multiple facets to that to that title or to that topic what are what are some of the most dangerous situations that you found yourself in in supporting a company or something of that nature as these different... Yeah, I, I tell you what, I've never really felt like I was in a dangerous situation, okay. um, to be honest, because I always felt that the work that I was doing was uh, was was very well executed and looked after in ter- from a risk management mm-hmm. perspective. You know, if you're thinking about you know, itineraries and going to, you know, going to dangerous locations. And I just had a, a guy on, on my po- podcast, uh, Lloyd Figgins, who's a travel uh, risk uh, expert. And you, you can go just about anywhere in, in the, almost anywhere. I wouldn't say anywhere, <laughs> but as long as you take 
the right sorts of precautions. And so I, I've never really felt like my my life or anything was in danger. I, I suppose certain situations where I'm you know getting into a car driving across Guinea or different parts of Western Africa where uh, you know you know, the road conditions aren't the greatest and you're not really sure about the you know the, the, the roadworthiness of certain vehicles and yeah I mean what do you do if um, you know if, if there's a you, your car breaks down and, and this and this sort of thing but I've never really felt like I've I've been in danger this is something that I think is a bit of a, of a paradox um, anyone who does anything that is you know, quote unquote dangerous actually is all over their their risks. I mean, they, they whether we're talking about somebody who's a an adventurer. Um, so I, I had a guy who kayaked the full length of the Amazon, uh, Taron Kent Hume, on my on my podcast, and he took loads of precautions, loads of preparation and planning. And so long as you you know what yourself you're getting yourself into, and you're you're doing you know good planning around it, you know more or less it's more or less fine. You have to have some. You also have to have some experience as well. It's the other thing is you don't you know just don't just pick up and go. I mean, I've I've had situations where going to Guinea Conakry, which is a poor country, and they've had some coups and things like that, and uh, and then I just found myself in Senegal, in Dakar, Senegal, um, where my flight, the connecting flight, just didn't, you know, just didn't. Uh, make its way through my my bags oh, didn't make its way make their way through there was an airline strike and i just but you know it was fine i i had you know a couple of days in in mm-hmm. senegal before heading off to um to guinea so, so so long as you've you've got you know good local partners or people that, that have some local knowledge and uh, and you do your homework for most places then then it's fine and there are some places where you just wouldn't go you wouldn't go to afghanistan but you know or parts of Iraq or, or Syria or things like this, but uh, some people do. Some people do, and it's just a question. It's, it's less a question of risk tolerance and how much you're willing to invest in the right precautions. You might need a whole sort of security detail, and you might think, "Well, that's just I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not going to invest in that." That you so better to just just not go. Um, I, I don't know. Apart from maybe journalists, uh, people do humanitarian work, people in the military. There aren't that many people going to Syria, mm-hmm. for example, um, and and those people they they go on these these courses, these uh, hostile environments training courses, and they they get loads of preparation. And they've got all types of precautions, and even then, you know, things can go can go wrong. But I've never felt personally. I've never felt. So basically, what you're saying is I should cancel my vacation of going to Egypt shortly because it's probably not the best idea right now. Um, I, I don't know. It depends on where you're going and, and what you're going to do there. Um, so I mean, there are loads of places where you know you, you, people think, oh, they're quote unquote dangerous, but actually, when you look at it, they may not be at all. I wouldn't say that at all. I'd, I'd say make sure you have the right precautions and know where you're going and um, don't wander the streets at night, <laughs> streets of Cairo at night when you don't know. What, where, where you're going or what you know what what's around the corner but if you do then i think you can you could go i, well, I was jerking your chain a little bit i mean oh, I, really? I, I thought you were really no going to you, <laughs> i was gonna oh, say right. i was gonna say syria yeah. and it would have been a dead giveaway but no no i'm yeah. uh no no egypt, yeah i know people who go, who've been to egypt and uh, it's absolutely fine they're 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 uh loads of wonderful things to see there obviously you know i wanted to i had a friend of mine in new jersey that was going uh for whatever reason they had some friends that they were checking out over there and there were some really bad political riots and and things this was probably about two years ago when it was like the worst possible time to be christian to be in egypt and to be you know white in that area and um you know she she wasn't white but uh 
you know, she was going over there and I was, that was one of the places that I did want to go and check out at, you know, some point, just because again, there's a lot of rich, you know, historical just monuments and just history there. You know, it's, you have to separate the aspects of, of what's going on if you can. It's just, it wasn't a good time, but I was just joking your chain with that, but no, no, so I, you can, I just say, you know, just do your homework and no, I just, I just wing it, just wing homework. it, show yeah. up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, but it, you know, it raises a, an interesting point across anything that anyone's doing, whether it's marketing or, or design, we, we tend to think in absolutes as human beings. What, what I like to do is help people think in in areas of gray, in areas of probability. Sometimes we think, you know, so in absolutes meaning either something's going to happen or it's not. And we're kind of wired this way. So we're wired to make a, a snap judgment to think that the rustling in the you know the bushes over over there the tiger is, is behind us. Might, yeah, it might be t- <laughs> exactly. And so we we, we react, yeah. or everything's totally fine. And and that's not how our world works. Our world works in on the basis of shades of gray and and probability. So when we're taking decisions and deciding to do things, then it's it's good to try and attach a level of confidence of how well that thing might work out. So it might be launching a new product or it might be taking over a company or mm-hmm. what, whatever it is. Think through the probability of that succeeding. And we're, we're over, particularly in business, we're overly optimistic. We might think that uh, this has an 80 or 90% chance of success. You know, in reality, it might have a 50, 60% chance. What, what's, uh, what I encourage people to do is to think in those kind of shades of gray. There's a wonderful book called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke, who was a, a poker player. And I had her on my podcast recently, what one of the things she encourages people to do, and this is another concept, risk management was a concept that Nassim Taleb, if anyone knows Nassim Taleb, he wrote the book, The Black Swan. He's got a recent book out called Skin in the Game. If you're willing to bet your own money on something, that crystallizes your level of confidence. It, try to think more in terms of probabilities as opposed to the absolutes. I, I know you're a, you know, you're a sci-fi uh, fan, so it's the Sith you know, the, was the, the first Sith thing word. that came out, man. As soon as you said that, only Sith deal in absolutes, and I was like, yeah, yeah. you know, can't can't break that. And, and <laughs> have, yeah, you know, we have to be on guard against words like, well, on both ends of the spectrum, you know, expressions or words like, um, I'm always, uh, this is, you know, the, I'm hundred percent sure that blah blah blah, or never. There's no chance. Whatever. We should be thinking more in terms of what do you think is it sort of eighty percent? You know, what what is what is the the chance of this working out? If you do your your kind of homework and you're confident at eighty percent, I, I talk about taking decisions and then trying to be in the zone of mm. disappointment if they don't work out versus the zone of regret. So zone of regret is I never saw that coming. It's totally wiped me out. Whatever. Or I didn't take this chance and it, you know, I didn't realize that there was it was. It was actually so it would have been so easy to do this a zone of disappointment is i knew the risks i we, we went for it it didn't work out but you know we we learn our lessons and we move on and that's a much better place to be than the the zone of regret so i help people think in those sort of shades of gray in those areas of probability and to think through some of the the risks that could go wrong and to think about what might happen if those risks did, did occur and rather than stopping us from doing things. I think good risk thinking gives us more confidence and allows us to be successful at whatever we're trying to do. And that's one of the great things. That's one of the things I love about 
what I get to do professionally and uh, and personally as well is is to help people have more confidence in the things that they're trying to do. I agree, and I appreciate that you have that just enjoyability factor personally and professionally. When it comes to, and this is an interesting question I was thinking about. So, I mean, aside from the obvious answer being the CEO, who really owns like the top risks? in a company or an organization generally who's accountable for those risks or the results or well it's part of the it's 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 part of the problem that i think a lot of organizations have which is we have a risk management department and they own the risks and it's like no 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 everybody owns the risks based on the decisions that they make at their own level so the ceo has certain decisions that that he or she must make and they own those risks typically you know the biggest risks to the to the company however all all those folks below the CEO and below those folks and below those folks, they're making decisions as well. And they've, they they should be entrusted to make decisions under the auspices of uncertainty. So they would own, you know, the risks at their level, which is, it's always risks to objectives, right? So it's, it's always risks to something. We can't just talk in sort of nebulous terms about risks. It's before we even think about risks, we need to think about what is it we're trying to do? What time horizons, what does success look like? And, And risks are all the things that could affect those objectives. So, and they could be positive or negative. Typically, we think of risk as something negative, but they could be positive as well. We, you know, we have too many orders for this product, or we have too many clients, or you know, whatever. Uh, risks are to whatever thing you're trying to achieve. You, everybody's got risks. Everybody has risks, whether we're trying to, you know, cross the street without looking, or whether or not we're we're taking a certain way to get to our appointment or whatever. There's risks in everything that we do. So it's everybody owns owns risk management or owns risks across an organization. The role of uh, someone like me and and, uh, others that do the sort of thing that I do is to help the organization have a kind of a common language, if you like, so that we're talking apples with apples Mm -hmm. uh, around around risk and to inject some independent challenge into into the fray. And that's very helpful, but you don't necessarily need you know, people like like me in an organization, it's helpful to uh, to have that, particularly for larger organizations, because you're trying to aggregate different personal approaches to risks in an overall organization. So some people they you know they like to hang out with friends on the weekends, and other people like to skydive, and you know trying to bring those different attitudes to risk within an organization it can be can be a, a challenge. So it's important to have a common language. But uh, but everyone really you know everyone owns risk, and I, I would say that this this applies to our own personal lives as well. We have risks to what we're trying to do as well, and again, all of those things around the extremes of you know this will never happen or this will absolutely happen. We we need to avoid those in our in our daily lives. The tagline of my podcast is "Risk is life" because uncertainty is is everywhere, and we need to get better. I think collectively at being comfortable with with uncertainty and just. Uh, just being able to uh, to make those types of difficult calls under the auspices of of uncertainty. So in in a business setting, I think it's it's important for everyone to be cognizant of of that. And and if you ask a, a good litmus test is to ask anyone uh, within any level of authority and decision making, what are your top risks, and have a, a coherent answer around that. I think another thing, uh, just to build on that, and we can we can talk about this a little bit more, is sure. the role of um, of dissent in in an organization. Mm-hmm. So there are all kinds of cognitive we call them cognitive biases. There are all kinds of thinking errors that we make individually or collectively. One of them is confirmation bias. So basically means we've made a decision or we want something to happen and we look at all the bits of evidence that confirm what we want or what we believe and we dismiss all the other bits of evidence Mm -hmm. and we can make 
those types of thinking. That This is a big thinking error that we can make in groups because particularly, again, in, in business, most businesses, they, they kind of favor the optimists, right? It's not the done thing to say, hey, well, I, I'm not sure that we're ready to do this or that. And, you know, people are, people get afraid to make those types of call outs because they might be afraid of being told, oh, you know, you're not, you're not a team player or, you, you know, you don't believe in our capabilities or, or whatever. And that's dangerous. You should be, we should be listening to those dissenting voices, not because what they say might you know is, is is true or not but it might be but it's that process of thinking through well why yeah why why might we not be able to successfully launch this product why might we not be able to acquire this company and there's there's a there's a technique called the pre-mortem okay which is is basically like a postmortem, but before it happens <laughs> so and and what you do here is you you take a decision that you're going to make or something you want to do and then you assume all right it's gone wrong mm -hmm. we, we didn't we didn't succeed we, we didn't plan we, for you know, it this product launch was, it was a disaster all of this stuff and then you, you you ask why did that happen and you get all the issues on the table and uh and then you you find by by doing this a couple of things one is that you head off things, you identify things that you didn't think of before, mm -hmm. which is the whole point, right? It's better to do a pre-mortem than a post-mortem. True. And number two, if you are a bit hesitant, then sometimes it can give you some confidence. Not only will you identify the things that could go wrong, but you might also think about the worst case scenario. You might think, well, actually, that's not so bad. So we could, you know, it would suck, but we, we'd be able to muddle through it. Mm -hmm. And it, this type of activity also, it it encourages dissent. So the, the whole objective is to dissent you know, in a group and to you know be able to, to challenge ourselves. It's a very powerful technique that I encourage all businesses and organizations to to undertake. Uh, because again, we're, we're, we are overly optimistic. There's so many examples of businesses getting into things and not, and it's too late and not knowing how to have an exit strategy around a risk that's now manifested. Well, I find even going back to your initial uh, bit about sometimes a company not really being able to navigate what's going on. They have like, for example, company culture is a big thing that companies like to throw around. Oh, here at company XYZ, we do this, we do that. But you usually find that the people that are saying it is the people who want it to be that way rather than yeah. how the company is really being shown or seen. Sure. And it really comes down to, again, who works at that company. So if it's a diversely ethnic company, if the, if the culture is what it is, and absolutely. What I found is that a lot of people like to push, it's more of marketing. They want to believe that their company is like this at X, Y, and Z, and it may not be. And what ends up happening is like you said, they siphon out what they want to hear and they leave the other things as calculated noise. Oh, that's just, if you're in business, you, you're you going to listen to somebody who is going to tell you what you want to hear. Oh, you're going to make so much money. I had a guy who reached out to me, a sales guy in Google Plus, and he saw my name and he saw my business and, and he was just calling and emailing me and telling me how great Google Plus is and how much money I can make. And mm. let's talk and let's do this. Google Plus is not that active of a platform. It's good for certain things, yep. but it is by no far, you know, nothing compared to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. For anybody to even tell me otherwise, it's just really asinine. But he, you know, that was his sale. So he was, he was going to lead almost into deception in order to get that sale. Now, if you look at it reality and realistically, I know, and you, you and I both know that 
Google Plus is not that type of platform. And mm. when you're working within a company, sometimes it's best to work within the ranks to really kind of feel what your company you know, absolutely is yeah. about, you know, yeah, they, they used to talk about, you know, walking the shop floor mm-hmm. um, when they were, when those things existed, I suppose they still exist in many organizations, but yeah, trying to get a feel for what the vibe is and what people are thinking and saying when, you know, the, 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 the lights aren't turned on when the cameras aren't rolling, mm-hmm. that's quite valuable. Uh, the other thing about what you mentioned there is the role of incentives is crucial, crucial in any organization. So if you've uh, incentivized people, if you've given people very unrealistic sales targets, for example, mm-hmm. well, guess what? By hook or by crook, they're going to start to try and hit those targets. Mm-hmm. And that might mean you're going to get into trouble. They might do some untoward things, uh, lie to your customers or create, you know, sell things at a lower price than you can actually deliver them, mm-hmm. all, all kinds of things. So organizations need to think about how they incentivize their people because that drives a lot of behavior behavior. And as a result, that can create or mitigate risk. So incentives are huge in, uh, in any in any organization. And just hitting some numbers, organizations need to put a little more thought around uh, what, what the implications are. Because I think a lot of the, this stuff, if organizations kind of take a step back and think about them and spend a little bit of time just discussing them, maybe at a pre-mortem session or something similar, you could identify it. A lot of risks are just right there. I talk about blind spots versus black swan. So I'm not sure if you're, you guys are familiar with the term black swan. I've mentioned mentioned it just earlier, but the black swan event is basically a big game-changing event that no one saw coming. Loads, and the reason why it's called the black swan is because in Australia, before they discovered Australia, in, in Western Europeans used to think that all swans were white, but one observation of a black swan when they discovered Australia negated that, negated millennia of belief that all swans were white. And so that's a black swan event. So black swan events occur, they're rare. But more common to me is something that I call a blind spot, which is a risk or an area a problem that you can see if you only just shine a light on it. And sometimes we just need to take a step back and just ask ourselves some questions and you can identify loads of things you didn't see coming. And a lot of it does, as you say, come down to to culture in in major organizations. Uh, It's funny that you mentioned the Black Swan event because I mean, I've never personally heard of it. Again, I'm not in risk management, but that was one of my questions I would imagine that it's also considered, but you know, is a a company prepared to respond to extreme events? And that would be, you know, essentially a Black Swan event. The other thing that I wanted to touch in on, which actually, does lead me into my next question. So two for two is those blind spots that may not be as apparent to a company, an owner or a business from a first look in your career, as you've come across them, what are really, I guess, maybe two, you could say, or, you know, depending on how uh, crazy they are, maybe just one, what's been an example of a risk blind spot that you've come across in an organization that was really, you know, severe or strange or or something? Yeah, I can... I'll give you a few. I mean, uh, maybe one that that really has a similar, well, it's it's always a a similar theme. I I, I used to do a lot of work for mining and oil and gas companies. Those organizations are really staffed by largely engineers and geologists. If you talk to them about their risks, it's always, for me, it it always used to be, you know, we don't find enough oil or gold or whatever it is, mm-hmm. or the price is too low or, or whatever it is. I did a project several years ago for a large oil and gas company. And what that one was looking at or helping them understand, they had so many projects that were delayed and had a variety of like 
big cost overruns, particularly the ones in difficult jurisdictions. And it was always the community protests or legal challenges or a, a range of those kinds of things. And the problem always was that they didn't really, they had people who in their organization that looked at this stuff, but they didn't really get the same, they didn't have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had people that could say, look, if we do this, you're, we're going to get a legal challenge here and everything's going to be delayed. And meanwhile, you know, we've, we've hired out all of this equipment and we've told the markets that we're going to produce oil by a certain date, et cetera. They, they just, even though they had that expertise there, it was the engineers and the geologists that, that made all the decisions and called all the shots, whereas all this other stuff was a bit of an afterthought. By bringing those folks into the room when they're making these decisions, these investment decisions, it allowed them to say, okay, the local community here doesn't like us. Culturally, we're, you know, we're, we're this nationality and there's the, I don't know, there's the history there with, with our, you know, with the nationality of our company in this part of Asia, Africa or whatever. So what we might need to do is some local community engagement and outreach, and we might need to think more carefully about sustainability and all kinds of stuff like this. That might take a little bit more upfront cost and time, but ultimately we'll be better off because we'll be able to, you know, to, to work in concert with, uh, with them. And so they, they started to realize that, that these things weren't an afterthought. It made a difference. There are loads, I've had loads of examples, just a, a theme in the early part of my career that just repeated itself, repeated itself, repeated itself, whether that was in Latin America or parts of Africa, Southeast Asia, where uh, the, the company would assume, right, we've got a license and a permit to do business from the national government, but now we're over here somewhere remote. That isn't enough. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's, it's getting, it's, it's getting, I think it's, it's, it's cyclical. And I think in, in that industry, it's, it's getting, uh, it's, it's getting better. Certainly when you compare it to other, other uh, businesses, when I look at what happened with Facebook mm-hmm. last, earlier this year, last year, it's the same sort of thing. Like, you know, really, you, you, you didn't think you had all this data that could be used to, you know, I don't want to get too political here, but could be used to influence, you know, potentially elections or, or whatever, you, you didn't think that, that maybe you'd run into a problem with this. It's a similar, you know, it's a similar thing where, you know, you've got people that, that know their domain, but if you just ask some sensible questions of some people, perhaps that have expertise, that's not in your core area of expertise, you, you might identify some things that you probably should have earlier. I agree. And that comes down to the fact with Facebook, it's like, well, you know, maybe Zuckerberg should have finished college after all, you know, sort of <laughs> Probably would have recognized that as risk analyst 101, you know, but no, I mean, that absolutely makes sense. And, and that is something that I do think that a lot of companies, even, even companies here have that disconnect between the workers and the higher ups where, you know, I remember being working with a lot of the delivery companies and they wanted to just push higher and higher volumes of packages. But then they were getting upset as the amount of damages that were happening in each of the delivery hubs and they were lowering the requirements for the drivers. But by doing that, the quality damage per call ratio is going to just skyrocket because again, you are, you're lowering the threshold of quality by trying to make sure that those peak numbers that you're hitting and those expectations are being hit it has to come from somewhere because if you're already running at, you know, optimum efficiency as it is, it just doesn't work that way. You know? Yeah. So. I, I hate that expression. Do, do, la- do more with less. Mm-hmm. Like, no, <laughs> we're going to do, do less with, with less. More. Yeah. You do more yeah. with more and you do less yeah. with less. Yeah. That's why they yeah. call it. So what, so what less, so what are we not going to do? You know, <laughs> we've got less. What are we not going to do? Yeah. Something's got to give. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. And, and not just, and it's not just the, uh, the, the workers. I think they're, they're also, areas where outside of the core expertise of the organization, whether you've got those experts in-house or not, if you look at Blockbuster, 
or if you look at Kodak, the rise of Netflix and what that did to Blockbuster, mm -hmm. the rise of digital photography and what that did to Kodak. Mm -hmm. These are things that people saw, you know, you just talk to some, you know, some, some industry experts and you, you could deduce perhaps that this is going to be a threat, right? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so, so it's just asking some, some reasonable, but sometimes tough and uncomfortable questions about the, you know, the viability of what it is you're trying to do. Agreed. And the irony of that last statement with Kodak is Kodak was the one that actually developed the digital camera technology first and then mm. buried it because they knew it was going to kill their profits. And then right. they could have started right. the revolution themselves and they chose to be greedy. And I mean, again, that's just what happens when you're disconnected with your community, the expectations, and you're not really out there looking at trends and forecasts. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think the larger, the larger the organization is, the more it really needs to be connected with, as you say, the, the wider community, its stakeholders, big trends that are, that are happening, what people care about, all of that stuff. Agreed. Well, Ben, that's it, man. We're done with the uh, with the episode. I know it was short and sweet, but cool. Well, I, yeah. I hope that uh, your listeners will, will get something out of it. Absolutely. Well, you can find Ben on LinkedIn, so feel free to connect up with him if you wish. You can also listen into his podcast directly at allthingsrisk.co.uk as he's on the other side of the pond. Ben, I mean, I really appreciate your time and, and being on the podcast. Thanks again. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Follow all Mike Tech Studios news, podcast content, and topics of interest on social media by searching for Mike Tech Studios on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or your podcast app of choice. Or check out our sister brand, Recruitmentary, for all of your career resource, job searching, or seeking needs on the Recruitmentary.com or YouTube.com forward slash Recruitmentary platforms. All links for our podcast content can be found on both the Mike Tech Studios website and and recruitmentry.com for ease of access. Amazing guests, tips, humor, and stories available on iTunes, Google Podcasts, YouTube, SoundCloud, and your podcast app of choice. Mike Tech Studios, make your mark, change the game.